Hello and welcome back to the Asset Allocator podcast, where we try to take a look under the bonnet of the market with leading asset allocators and fund buyers. I'm David Thorpe, one of the contributors to Asset Allocator. Joining me today are Darius McDermott, investment advisor on the VT Chelsea multi-manager fund range, and my fellow Asset Allocator writer, David Baxter. Good morning to you both. Darius, markets have started the year with more of a, a whimper than a bang. The value sectors had done uh, very well, and I suppose still are. But is there a danger that the markets got ahead of itself with the with the value rally, given all of the uncertainty that we we have in the world? Yeah, look, it's it's a great question. It's also the question I think we've been debating the other side of it. When growth was dominating, when would value have its day? You know, in 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 my role, I'm privileged enough to talk to the best fund managers out there across m- multiple asset classes. And the one conclusion, talking to them, and and that we came up with us as ourselves as a team, the one ca- catalyst for value to, to to dominate was inflation. And woohoo, here it is uh, with a bang. And you know, all the money printing post financial crisis didn't cause inflation although a big chunk of it went the second on bank um capital uh ratios and all that sort of stuff but the money printed because of the covid crisis really has looked like it's it, it's filtered through the system whether it's via furlough and day traders um then you've got the supply chain crisis caused by covid and you know that's been increased by the uh, russia ukraine situation so there's no doubt Inflation is in the system and in quite large chunks, um, you know, 6% UK, 7% of the US. And most people believe that's understated. So if that was our best guess catalyst as to what would cause value to outperform, well, it's definitely here. So um, I'm definitely much more balanced in thinking about growth and value now than we would have been two years ago. Thank you. Uh, David, what are your what are your thoughts on on that question? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point. And you, as you mentioned, you um, have a lot of insight from kind of speaking to some of the uh, some very reputable fund managers. Um, w- one thing I wanted to ask was perhaps especially when it comes to more style neutral, perhaps generalist managers, perhaps in the equity space. Have you had any sense of how they're trying to kind of strike a balance on the style fronts. I mean, I, I know I've spoken to some and they're kind of, they're almost saying, you know, we want to kind of just sit on the fence because we don't really, you know, the outlook is still so uncertain that we don't really know where to, where to lean. Um, what, are you, what are you hearing? I, I mean, I think that's a, it's a, it's a good question. Um, first observation is I'm not sure how many managers are out there left at their core. I'm certainly not sure how many value <laughs> managers are left. Um, we had an event David uh, came and attended and I think of the likes of say um, Jeremy Podger Fidelity Global Special Sit he's definitely a core manager right but he's also got a value bucket or a value part of his portfolio and I think he was evidencing and that was in December clearly a few months ago now but he was finding opportunities in Japan Um, he was finding more opportunities in Europe than the US which he'd felt had got um you know, particularly expensive. Now, as I say, the Russia-Ukraine situation has clearly damaged European equities as the 
nearest border to to, to the situation. Um, you, you know, for for me, it, it's about not calling managers to account, but making sure they invest how they say they will invest across the cycle. And you know, if we were sitting here talking about some of the real out and out growth managers, and you started seeing them investing in commodities, then you know, then then, then we have to sort of wake up and, and and make the phone calls and say, what are you doing? But it's understanding managers' processes and you know making sure that they stick to it. Uh, clearly, core managers have that bit more flexibility than an out and out growth or an out and out value. Uh, certainly, in the products which we advise on, we don't. We've the barbell we've had to get core has been some growth and some value. We have had. Jeremy is an absolute typical example. We, we we hold that across two or three of our funds as sort of a, a core global fund, but. Most of our exposure is either growthy, compounding type, you know, quality companies, or or, or then some value to balance that. That's that's the way we've played it um, for, for for good, bad, or or, or indifferent. Um, guys, as you you mentioned, um, inflation, and I think it's uh, it's something that's on everybody's minds, whatever their whatever their profession, whatever their life, whatever their uh, their income uh, right now, and. Um, one of the ways that central banks are, are responding to the higher inflation is, is obviously by tightening monetary policy. We've already had rate rises in the UK. We've had noises about them in the in the US, and we've had monetary tightening. And as a multi-asset person, um, putting together multi-asset portfolios, how do you think about risk when rates are, are tightening? You know, because tightening rates kill some parts of the equity market and slaughters bonds. So... You know, where's the correlation? Yeah, I mean, we saw at the start of the year, pre the market wobble caused by Russia, Ukraine, that the expectation of interest rates going up um, started to hurt the quality defensive cash flow driven equities because of the perception about their long duration on those cash flows. So that rotation had very much begun. Um, how do we think? I mean, you know, in a, the funds that we advise on, we're certainly not slinging around. We're not going to move 60, 70% of our portfolio from sort of quality to, 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 to cyclical. We tend to tilt and move slowly in, in those sorts of areas. We have been cutting our fixed income, which is an obvious thing to do with inflation. A, yields are low anyway. You know, if I'm sitting on a corporate bond fund yielding two and a half when inflation's six, well, I'm guaranteed to lose 4% of my money every year, aren't I, just on purchasing power. And then with rates going up and bonds tend to go down in those environments, that seems a fairly sensible trade. So we tended, again, a bit of a barber. We've got a little bit of absolute return bond, which hopefully can chug along and, and maybe not lose money in that environment. And then we've got some high yield. Where you know the yields on a couple of the funds that we own are five and six percent, so at least I'm getting compensated for my inflation. Um, and higher yield are less correlated to to to, to rate rises anyway. Other things which we've been doing um, is I think we're very lucky here in 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 London or in UK is we we have the London Stock Exchange, which has got a wide range of alternative strategies where you can get some inflation protection. Um, I, I won't name any specific names, but you look at some of the selective property or supermarket type products. Um, 
you know, they've got inflation linking in their income contracts, um, as do some of the warehouse type REITs. Um, you know, they can charge they can charge their underlying tenant more more income based on 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 the inflation figure. Um, then there are some you know, non-correlated ways. Uh, things like some of the music strategies, music royalties, I mean, they don't care about inflation, do they? Um, they just chug out this sort of uncorrelated cash flows. Uh, and then, you know, let's say something, who, who would have known? But you know, there were even, you can invest in ships on the London stock market now. And that is a, an inflationary cyclical trade. I have to say, I noticed that one in your um, portfolios, something that does that sort of thing. And I was wondering, I mean, does an investor in such a product, does the fund manager of such a product own the ships or is there another link in the chain somewhere? Or or does the fund manager literally have the ships parked somewhere and he has to go down and look at them? Yeah, so I can only speak of the one that we own and hence the mm-hmm. one I'm more familiar with. Um, sure. That trust owns the ships. Um, okay. It was only IPO'd last year. Um, they've raised... Um, some capital because investors have been happy to, to 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 follow into the strategy as as they've proven their strategy. Um, now, then they did as a slight diversifier by a U.S. shipping firm uh, as a company level rather than a direct ship. So okay. I, I don't have the exact figures to hand, but it's roughly 80, 20 direct ships and they own ships via holding in the U.S. and holding in the US got massively revalued upwards and um, the share price in London is, is, is gently catching up with it so um, yeah it, it, it's it's a it's a cyclical play and you know when you have supply chain blockages who knew that shipping would be able to charge more for their for their for their for their time and, 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 their, and their freight so um, it so far so good on that one but like all these investments we can't fall in love with them Thank you. When um, when it comes to perhaps some of those, what might be regarded as newer alternative asset classes, like you mentioned, music royalties, we we've had some allocators. You know, they, they still appear quite wary about those asset classes, just because of the, the usual arguments about you know perhaps they haven't seen a full market cycle, perhaps we don't know what to expect. I mean, is do you kind of recognise those concerns, and is there a way in which you account for those when you? Absolutely, Dave. I mean, you know, the, the, the first thing to say is all of these assets that we've just referenced in the last couple of moments sit in investment trust structures. So even, let's just say, the music royalties, which you know, if ever there's an asset that shouldn't be correlated to equities and bonds, that's it. You know, whether you put your Spotify on or, or, or stream A on A another platform should have no correlation to the equity in the bond market. Yet they're an investment trust structure, and if anybody ever needed a reminder, the you know, some of these uncorrelated assets in investment trust structures in February and March of 2020, when you have that extreme market um, movement, a lot of things correlated that weren't previously correlated and, and suffered. And some of those infrastructure trusts, um, trust based on whether the sun shines, and um, we'll all remember lockdown one. One thing that we did get was fantastic sunshine. These trusts, all they do is solar, fell 40%. You know, 
so 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 yes there absolutely is extra risk in them and you know anybody who thinks otherwise it needs needs to just have a little look through recent history so um yeah music royalties what what, what could happen well we could end up with legal challenges to that model between the artist and the streaming and that did have an impact on one of the two london listed um music investment trusts um so yeah nobody's saying there's no risk i'm just saying they're uncorrelated some of these assets to our day-to-day equities and bonds and and then something just even the inflationary thing um maybe some of the music platforms will lose market share as inflation affects our ability to consume do you subscribe to your music channel for, let's just call it £15 a month? Or if you need to buy more food or the, the cost of the food in your basket has gone up by £15 a month, maybe that will affect it. But so, yeah, we, we, we're we certainly not saying these things don't carry substantial risk. But each individual thing has different asymmetric risks. If you have a bucket of them or a, you know, and the other thing is we don't put too much capital in any of them. Um mm-hmm. You know, we're not sitting here with like 10, 12% in anything. Uh, that, that that wouldn't be the way we like to stay diversified. We tend to be 2, 3, 4% maybe in, 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 in a basket of them. Um, so, yeah. And there's there's loads more I haven't mentioned. There's the digital infrastructure. There's the infrastructure. Um, there's the energy plays, solar, wind, diversified energy. The, the point being is that we're fortunate as multi-asset investors, to have those assets available to us on the London-listed market. Thank you for that, Darius. Um, when you think about your uh, all of the uncertainty in the world, the potential for inflation to hit economic growth, whatever, um, what does a defensive equity exposure look like? I mean, you know, you can defend against inflation, which you've kind of touched on with, with value-type strategies, but many value-type strategies have economic cyclicality in them, which which may not be be what you want. So I suppose that there's a dilemma there, right? Yeah, and we have this debate on our team all the time. Um, one of my colleagues is a big supporter of actually defensive equities technology and big mega cap technology with these super cash generative businesses that you can visualize into many, many years. And, you know, the one thing you probably aren't going to be able to give up is your iPhone or your Samsung phone. Um, and, you know, we know there's a shortage of chips globally. So you can see that that is quite good for supply demand. So one of my colleagues is, is, is a big supporter of sort of mega cap tech, you know, the real big names. Again, you can buy some of these things on a discount. I, I don't want to name names because we are owners of potential, you know, we buy some of these things. Um, fairly regularly but you can get some of these big trusts on discounts and you know that 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 in itself is helpful um but i seen a fund manager last week which we hold in two of our funds and he runs a global insurance program based on insurance rate large cap this not not your insurance or my house insurance i'm talking you know catco catastrophe insurance and other big insurance generally that has a beta of around 0.8. That sounds fairly defensive to me. Yet in his world or their world, you know, if their, their um, insurance rates are going up. So some of the companies are still cash generative, 
Now, I'm not saying if markets fall from here 30, 40 percent that those won't fall. Of course they will. They're equities. But I'd like to think on average they've got a better chance of falling less. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I always have to be careful about behavioral finance. This is a manager I saw last week. And I have to say we walked out minded to add to his strategy um, rather than take away from it. So, you know, th there are things out there. Um, but if you think traditional defensive equities tend to be farmer, tend to be consumer, um, you know, maybe those traditional type of plays, large cap farmer type of stuff tends to do well, tends to be a defensive equity if markets wobble. But and there's huge amounts of uncertainty. I, I, I think I, I know we've touched on inflation, but the biggest uncertainty to me is what the central banks do. Um, not my line, but they are well behind the curve with respect to inflation. They've got it wrong. And the central banks tend to do, they maybe often overreact. And if we start seeing hefty rate rises, which I think are becoming more inevitable, maybe that will take us into recession. Um, so, yeah, plenty to be careful out there at, at the moment, let alone the ongoing, obviously, crisis in Russia and Ukraine. How how do you feel then about the... Um equity income space currently because a lot of what's interesting to me is this year a lot of the funds that have held up relatively well in different sectors have been equity income vehicles um, and I suppose some of that will be due to cyclical exposures but some may have more defensive qualities too. Yeah I think you hit the nail on the head there David it's the, I think the cyclical exposure is if I look at the UK equity income and I look at the UK market we still have large cap oil um, we have large cap miners. And if we put ESG to a side, these are hugely cash generative uh, um, areas and, you know, natural hunting grounds for equity income. Um, personally, I'm glad. I mean, I've been in this job now a good number of years. And, you know, when I started, equity income was the go-to sector for UK retail investors. They bought equity income. If they didn't want the dividends, they compounded them. You know, your 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 income strategy was your your core strategy. We've talked about core and maybe value growth. That was how you got your core strategy. You know, we've all heard that that the stat of dividends reinvesting over a hundred years give you sort of 50, 60, 70 percent of total equity returns outside of the Amazons and the Microsofts that just grow to infinity. Um so so that's a, a core way of, of taking. And I would think we also know how unloved UK has been post-Brexit. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Megan Rinks. And I'm Melissa D. Montz. And like every other person with access to a microphone, we started a podcast. On Mondays, we release Don't Blame Me, which is an advice podcast where listeners call in and we share our thoughts on situations such as what to do if you're going to your boyfriend's family function and you haven't told him that you previously slept with 
both as twin brothers. Then on Thursdays, we release our podcast, But Am I Wrong?, where we ethically gossip about pop culture, politics, our lives, and your lives. Listeners write in and we tell them if they're wrong or right in a situation. Are you the hero or the villain? On Tuesdays and Fridays, we throw in a little something extra as well. Well, something, something. We strive to create a community grounded in activism, mental health, and inclusivity. Think of us as like your blunt, honest friends who give you advice that you need to hear, not what you want to hear. But we're also always rooting for your success. What we lack in credentials, we make up for in... Opinions. We do that in every episode, too. (laughs) (laughs) We're professional unprofessionals, so if you're looking for a new slate of podcasts to add to your routine, we're here for you. ACAST recommends. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. Um, it would be quite nice if UK equity income funds saw, saw some love and some potential interest from us at Allocators. Thank you for that, Darius, and, and thank you both for joining me today, and thank you all for listening. Do tune in next time for another edition of the ST Advisor Asset Allocator podcast.